Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cult I Left Behind podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Briggs, and I'm here to tell you my stories of growing up in the IBLP cult, which you might know from the Duggar family. And I'm your other host, Kyle Briggs. I am Amanda's husband, and I have not heard most of these stories before. So stay tuned, and we'll all get traumatized together. Welcome back to the next episode. What do we have in store today, Amanda? Well, today we are going to answer the question that we received from a listener. Um, what is the real difference between a cult and a religion? For example, was Jesus technically a cult leader? We're very excited to dive into this. Not that we're experts on the topic, but this is a cult podcast, so it's a question about cults, and we're going to go after it. And we have a very special guest here today, Tim Whitaker from the New Evangelicals. So, Tim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your podcast, the New Evangelicals, and the work you do? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. By the way, it's great to be here to pretend that I know more about something than I really do. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, my, my name is Tim Whitaker. I'm the uh, creator and facilitator of the New Evangelicals. We're a nonprofit organization, and we do uh, three things. We hold space for folks marginalized by the evangelical church. We advocate for accountability inside of evangelical spaces, and we help people explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. So yes, I'm very much still a Christian. The work that we do still is within the Christian space. However, uh, we hold space for a lot of people who are navigating what they believe. Uh, and mm -hmm. certainly we're not here to gatekeep, uh, you know, uh, belief and if someone stays in the house of Christian thought or not. Um, yes, yeah, so that's, that's me. I grew up homeschooled, fundamentalist Christian my whole life, very committed to Jesus. And I tell people that that commitment to Jesus led me to do the work I do now, you know, so very much still within that tradition, uh, but really not happy, uh, I think, with the current state of the evangelical tradition period and how harmful it's become. So that's what kind of got me into this work. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you here. And I know we're, none of us are really experts on this topic, but we're going to give our opinions on it. Um, so I think I want to start off with just defining what cult and religion are, since those are the two primary topics of that. So I just grabbed mm -hmm. a couple definitions off of three different dictionaries uh, online. So I've got definitions from Merriam-Webster, Dictionary.com, um, and Britannica. Oh, four, I guess. I got some from Oxford. Um, so let's start with religion. We'll just do definitions here real quick. So... From Merriam-Webster, we've got a personal set or institutionalized set system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Uh, Dictionary.com's got religion as a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considered as the creation of a superhuman agency or agencies, usually involving devotional and ritual observances, and often containing a moral code governing the conduct of human affairs. Um, Britannica has got it very simply put as the belief in a God or in a group of gods. Um, and so for a cult, we've got Mary Webster says a cult is a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Uh, hmm. Dictionary.com has got a cult as a particular system of religious worship, especially with reference to its rites and ceremonies. 
Um, Britannica has a small religious group that is not part of a larger or more accepted religion and that has beliefs regarded by many as extreme or dangerous. Uh, Oxford has a cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. So those are the definitions. Um, I feel like with the question being are all religions cults, um, it seems like some of these definitions are alluding to making sure that you know a relig- or a cult is something that's kind of an unorthodox religion. Hmm, like an extreme, and it said like dangerous, harmful, you've got rites and ceremonies. I think something that would be fun is just like one, two, three, go, are all religions <laughs> cults? And then we all say yes or no. And like, all right, so Kyle, yes or no? I would say no. Tim? I would say no. Okay. I'm actually going to say no as well based on <gasps> some different criteria. I know. I know. I'm shocking Tim right now. Episode over. Problem uh, solved. Well, no. I think some are. I just don't think all are. Um, so, so let's see. Tim, can you share a little bit about why your answer would be no to that question? Well, because I couldn't prove it. Okay. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, there's. I mean, I'm looking up Google, which gives us the answers that are definitely objectively true. <laughs> and everything. Right. But it says that there's about four thousand religions out there. Mm-hmm. Um, how could I possibly verify that every religion and the world inside of that religion, right? Mm-hmm. They're 100 percent all cults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Buddhism, for example, is pretty even atheistic in its view, even though it's a religion. So I just don't feel comfortable saying that that's the case. Okay, so I I know, well, for our listeners, Tim and Kyle and I met, was it last week? And we had a quick chat about like, all right, what are we going to do for this episode? And at the time I said, I would probably say religions are cults. And I also said, <laughs> oh, you know, we're not going to research this. We're just going to get on and have a fun conversation. I am Hermione. I can't help it. I did research. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> but I narrowed it down because like Tim, like you said, there are so many religions. So I just looked at the five major ones. So we've got Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Judaism as our five like major major leading world religions. And and I started looking for like, well, what what's the criteria really of a cult? And I know Kyle read some dictionary definitions, but if you dig into it more, like it's got to have a figurehead who's leading the charge towards something scary, bad, dangerous, extreme, like objectively, we can all sit there and go like, wow, that's weird. Um, so I started making a list and I thought it might be helpful for our listeners if, if through this conversation, we kind of keep adding to a list of, okay, well, what, what actually takes it out of the realm of religion into a cult? And also like, what are we saying you have to have for a religion to be cult E? Um, so how do we feel about like those kind of basic parameters? Do you guys have anything you want to add? Oh, I don't think so. No. Okay. So, so help me out here. So we have to have a figurehead, right? Like we have to have a cult leader, Mm -hmm. someone who is leading the charge. Like with IBLP, the cult I grew up in, it's easy. It's Bill Gothard. Right. We all know him. We all know his name. We know what he looks like. We know what he teaches. We know what you have to do to be part of his little group. Like it's, it's, it's very identifiable. And then there are very identifiable, like, rules and regulations for what you have to follow. So I started going through it and like, all right, so you have to have an incarnate figurehead. Like it has to be a person, not an anthropomorphism 
it's got to be like a, a figure who can walk the earth for us to follow. I don't okay. know, agree or disagree. What do we think of that as a criteria for it to even be cult-ish? I mean, doesn't go back to your, um, well, the, the Oxford definition says uh, a veneration and devotion directed towards a particular figure or object. But okay. I think as far as how we understand cults in like the modern psyche, I think it has to be around a person for it to be like a real cult. Thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you on that very much so. Um, and then I think it has to have some sort of written guide for people to follow. Like you got to have a rule book because cults are all about their rules and regulations. So it has to be has to be documented. How do we feel about that one? Well, does it or does it have to be just orated by the cult leader? Okay. I can accept that. <laughs> Kyle, what are you thinking over there? Um, I mean, based off some of the, well, I guess based off some of the definitions of a, a, a religion, it's saying, you know, they've got a specific moral code. So, I mean, that kind of alludes to there being at least an understood code of ethics even if it's um, orally transmitted, doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be codified into writing. Yeah. How do we feel about that, Tim? Can it be well, orally I'm thinking transmitted? About, um, I'm thinking about just some of the like the more infamous American cults. You know, like okay. did they have rule books, or was it just like what the leaders? The leader would be the teacher and the mediator between the rule book, usually the Bible in so many cases. You mm-hmm. know, and their followers. I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly do not know if like Jim <laughs> Jones had a rule book. I just don't know. You know, yeah. but it's like. I, I, maybe That's he did. I, I, I just don't think it's like a necessary piece to be okay. in the cult. It, it may be okay. a strong emphasis, but I wouldn't say necessary. necessary. All right. Then let's scratch that one. But we're still sticking with there's some sort of person to follow. Yeah. Um, high control for sure. Okay. High control. And then another thing I came up with is there's a prescribed way of life, rituals, and practices. Like cults generally are very prescriptive. How do we feel about that one? I mean, I think that's accurate. I think when you you hear of a cult, they're all behaving in the same way because I think they're all following the same code, whether that's written or not. Like they're all they're all behaving the same way, and they believe the same thing. And mm-hmm. you know how they believe that you know is usually coming from some person that's just made up these rules or this this system of belief. Yeah. So yeah, I think it it would you'd be able to pick them out from a crowd. Okay. Like, okay. That that either maybe they all dress the same way, or <laughs> we did. yeah, <laughs> like there's there's different ways of telling how you know if a person's in a cult, and I think a behavior based on their their understood code of ethics or morals or their objectives would mm-hmm. be an accurate statement. Mm-hmm. Oh, and just to clarify, I'm kind of. And let me know what you guys think of this. I'm kind of thinking let's split this episode into like part one, part two. Part one is answering the question like are all religions by definition cults? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the first part of the question from the listener. And then the second part, and Tim, this is where we're really going to lean on you, is was Jesus technically a cult leader? Um, Because even though I grew up evangelical, I grew up Christian, I have done a lot of work to distance myself from biblical teachings as part of my healing process and and deconstruction. We'll see where I am in reconstruction someday. But yeah. I my my understanding is you're a lot more versed still in like biblical principles and teachings about Jesus and what Jesus taught. Is that correct? 
I mean, I have no degree in the subject. That's <laughs> but but you but yeah, interface I, I'm in, with this. Yeah, no, I do. I, I'm, I'm in the world pretty often. I, I tend to read as widely as I can. But just to be clear, like, you know, you're not talking to the academic here. But yes, I can talk about it. <laughs> That's okay. You're here because you're human and you handle these topics in a very, like, human and balanced way. And we really like that about your work oh, thank in you. particular. That's super kind. Thank so, you. So, all right. So you're going to help us stay balanced when we get to the Jesus part instead of uh, (laughs) me coming from where I am with my cynicism that I'm still working through. That's fair. So back to like the concept of are all religions technically cults? So then I took, I took the top five and I was like, all right, well, who is this incarnate figurehead? Do all of these top five religions even have one of those? So Christianity. Yeah, we have Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Islam. Yep. We have Muhammad. And then with Hinduism, for me, with my research and listeners, please feel free to educate and correct me. But for me, it was unclear. There is um, Veda's Vyasa, but he he was a sage. He was He didn't claim to be a god. He claimed to be an extension of the god Vishnu. But he was more like, hey, I'm the guy who's going to codify all of this oral tradition about our way of life, our belief systems. I'm going to put it in four volumes. Here you go. I I don't like in my limited. Yeah, like a a scribe, a messenger. But I don't like if you Google Hinduism, it's not like this is the dude and we follow him in, in this very specific way. It's they they follow the four volumes of their sacred text. So for me, like you, I could almost start to disprove are all religions cults because we don't have a figurehead for one of the top five religions, like right there, number three. What are your would, thoughts on that? I would agree. I mean, yeah, definitely. My understanding is that there are many gods in Hinduism. Mm-hmm. There is no like top tier dog, and then Buddhism. I don't think. Ha- I think like you, it's about enlightenment. I'm yes. a personal. Yes. And then Judaism too, by the way. I mean, Yahweh maybe, but... But that's not an incarnate leader. I would agree. And plus, Judaism is really wide. You And also, yeah. Judaism is also part ethnicity. It's not just a religious mm-hmm. identity, right? Mm-hmm. So that gets real in the weeds too when you have like an atheist Jew. But what do you mm-hmm. do with that? Like, are is, mm-hmm. are they, you know, is that a cult thing? No, there's no, mm-hmm. they're not, they're atheists. So I would agree with you. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. Like Buddha is, he's considered extraordinary, but not a God. Never right. claimed to be a God, just claimed right. to be enlightened. Mm-hmm. And I'm right there with you that the, the God of the Judaism religion is never incarnate. He's referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of course we have like big figures in Judaism, like Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but they're, they're never God and they're never follow Moses. It's follow what God says through Moses in, in a way that's not quite as culty as I'm used to, like with Bill Gothard. If you want to get even a little more technical, it's most likely that Abraham, Isaac, Moses never actually existed in the first place. Like they're Uh, they're most likely just just like (laughs) mythical archetypes. And I don't use that in in the pejorative sense. Like that's just like Mm -hmm. the data doesn't support that Moses really existed. Um, you know, it, it just is what it is. So even, even let's just say Moses was the top dog. 
there's we don't we don't know for sure. I'll put it that way. We're, we really can't prove that Moses mm-hmm. objectively existed as a human incarnate. Like with Jesus, it's it's way less debated. I mean, if you're a scholar yeah. that thinks Jesus did not exist, you're the odd man out, even mm-hmm. with like atheists and like secular scholars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to the other texts, there's a pretty wide agreement, I would say, that those people probably did not exist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I want to have a different conversation offline sometime about Adam and Eve, because <laughs> I think they're an archetype. And Oh, I, most definitely. I okay. mean, John Walton's work um, is, is, is key on this. And he's, he's a conservative, biblical, and Aaronist. And he would tell you that to read the Bible rightly, Adam and Eve are not two literal people. Like, Okay. Human and, and life is what they, their names literally. Anyway, yeah. I, would I think I'm finding that. my tribe a little bit. This is great. Okay. Oh, boy. So- <laughs> I'm going to reconvert you. <laughs> okay, then that makes Come you definitely <laughs> evangelical. Oh, man. Oh, no, we can't join cults, Tim. No, it's, oh, it's, the bad, bad. it's the premise of our whole podcast. Oh, darn. I ruined the whole everyone. show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone. Tim Whitaker, self-proclaimed cult leader now. It's fine. This is fine. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, Okay, so what else? So we've talked through, um, it has to have an incarnate being. We've decided it doesn't have to have a written um, guide, that it can be oral, it can be tradition, etc. And it does have to have a prescribed way of life. So Hmm. um, maybe we talk through the top five in, in light of that last one, like the prescribed way of life and like in a little more detail because one of the key things Kyle that you pointed out in your definitions is that it has to be extreme or leading to danger or harm mm-hmm. um and I know I know we're talking about religion I know we're talking about people's deeply held beliefs and we always want to be respectful of that even if we disagree so that being said this is kind of hard to do but let's let's do our best um all right, let's just start with the top of the list. Christianity. C- can it be extreme and dangerous? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, over over the course of history, like there's been so many, you know, holy wars or religious wars oh, or wars fought over religion. But I think when you're talking about is the religion harmful, I wouldn't say that like a fight because, you know, person A believes, you know, this belief system and and person B believe something else Mm -hmm. like that's the animosity there is not really coming from the religion itself it's coming from well my religion's right and yours is wrong can we just say like it's usually men (laughs) i'm just gonna point (laughs) that out that's that's a fact (laughs) 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 um so i think it's important to distinguish that like just because there's been violence caused by religion, by religion, that the religion itself may not be violent or extreme. Okay, so Tim, help us out with this one about Christianity, because some of the things that just come immediately to mind for me that are like, well, gosh, you got to be kind of crazy, you know, people being torn apart by lions for their faith, and like, and their faith requiring them to be torn apart by lions to prove their belief in Christ. Like those are some of the more extreme examples my brain will jump to because I grew up reading the book of martyrs when I was like seven, because that's normal. Yeah. Um, I, but, got, I got volumes one and two right up there. No, no, <laughs> nope. Can't, can't look at those again. I can't I do it right em. now. <laughs> I read them too. Whenever I would take a poop, I would read on the toilet and be like, I'm such a bad Christian. I, I, I'm doubting if I should be torn apart by lions or not. That's, that's not working in my world. 
I mean, same. I'm just saying. I know. I know. Same. And 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 like, do you think that's actually required by Christianity, or is that like a human convolution of what's required by Christianity? The hardest part about this conversation is that we're really condensing thousands of years of history and universes inside of each of these religions. I mean, Christianity is not unique in this sense. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, what are we talking about? We're talking about Christianity. We're we talking about like the Eastern Orthodox tradition, the Catholic tradition, the Protestant tradition, mm-hmm. the Reformed Protestant tradition, the Charismatic <laughs> Reformed tradition. You know, are we going to go real crazy and talk about the Mormons? Like which, like which flavor are we talking about here? Right. Because you could, and this is kind of, I'll just put this for me. Okay. This is only a prescription for me, but I will just say that as I deconstructed, I found very quickly that I could still keep fundamentalism as part of my psyche um, by just going to a different form of it. Right. So from, okay, my Christian faith is fundamentally this thing and it can't be anything else to, Oh my God, it's all fundamentally bad and horrible. And I'm just going to flatten it out again, just in the opposite perspective. When in reality, it's just much more complicated than that because you can find people that use the Christian faith as a tool for liberation. And you can also find people who use it as a weapon of oppression. Mm-hmm. Like that is it's, very, it's very much a both and instead of either or. Um, so for me, I, I, I'm sure there are Christians who might say even today, like, yes, to be a true Christian, you have to die, be willing to actually go to the stake for your faith. But I think you'd also find a lot of Christians who would say no. Now, I think one other thing, too, is that, you know, we live in America. So the idea of us like being forced to choose between our faith and like death is pretty unfathomable. But I think that there are other things that go into that for why martyrs actually happened. I don't Mm -hmm. think it was just a matter of I can't renounce my faith. I think I think that there are cultural things going on. There are maybe uh, family things going on. And also, let's be clear, people will die for things if it's faithful or not. Like we all have deep seated convictions over things. I would die for my kids. Because of my love for them, you know, I would take a bullet without thinking twice. So I understand for sure, uh, especially if we grew up in like some form of the basement of fundamentalism in Christianity, how we can be indoctrinated to be like, you know, am I going to be, you know, if a school shooting happens and someone holds a gun to my head and goes, you know, renounce Christ. And let's say I don't, am I going to be cast out by my, my faith tradition for being a coward? I hope not. Because I would say, uh, yeah, I renounce Christ. Like, I don't want to die. Like, I just don't. You know, yeah. I have a family to think about. I have a life to think about, et cetera. So anyway, that's kind of a long-winded answer of saying, like, I just think it depends. And I, yeah. I don't think it's monolithic. And I would add to that. I mean, I think the same thing because, you know, when when I was growing up, um, the Columbine shooting was a big thing. And the cult really latched on to that and used it. Um, I would say in some unhealthy ways. And I did spend a lot of time as a kid thinking through like, wow, well, would I die for my faith? And obviously Same. in that yeah. environment, I had to say, well, yes, of course. Right. But, you know, if you zoom out and you look at the bigger overarching like picture, self-preservation is the most fundamental human reaction. And the only one that's just as strong that in my view, it's just like beautifully weird is love because it kicks self-preservation right out the window. Like (laughs) you would die for your kids. (laughs) You know, I would die for my loved ones and, and we wouldn't think twice about it. So I think love is the only thing that's stronger than self-preservation, but self-preservation is, is a fundamental human instinct. And 
Uh, I still believe, like I'm still grappling with Christianity, but I still believe in a creator. I still believe in a divine being that, that, you know, started this thing called life on planet earth with humans. And if we have self-preservation is such a strong instinct, then like that's there for a reason. <laughs> and yeah. we can honor that too. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Our listeners can, you can, now you can spend all of your downtime or time <laughs> in the bathroom trying to decide if you would be martyred for your faith beliefs. Um, but I was thinking about Christianity from like just a big picture, take all of the human weirdness out of it. And it's like, Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it like recognize sin, repent from sin, believe in Jesus? Isn't that like basically it? I don't think so monolithically. Okay, um, tell me more. Tell know, me more. Well, I mean, like what, you know, okay, for example, right, I've heard people say like, I could never be a Christian because they all believe that, you know, Christ died to take the wrath of God on, on the cross. And that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. That is a pretty predominant flavor in American culture of Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's not certainly not Christianity though. Like penal substitutionary atonement, that's the technical term for that idea mm-hmm. that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. Mm-hmm. First off, many scholars would argue is an is one of the newest forms of atonement theory. Certainly not the oldest. Um and and um also the idea that if you don't pray a prayer, you're gonna burn in hell forever. <laughs> also a newer evangelical idea. Um, sorry, you know, some of the earliest church fathers were actually Christian universalists. Um, I would argue that the word faith is better translated allegiance. And I'm drawing on the work of Michael Bates for this. And the idea is that do we have allegiance to the way of Jesus instead of like, like this blind trust? So that's me as a post-evangelical thinking this way. So I don't know if every Christian ever is like, well, the main tenets are, uh, you know, uh, repent from your sin and trust Christ so you don't burn in hell forever. Um, I think that there, you would see a lot of ingredients of like sin, repentance, but what, how that manifests would look so different, different based on the tradition that you're a part of, I think. So that's, that's very interesting to me. And I like that. And this is why we wanted to have you on the podcast <laughs> to talk about this. Um, I think you have a very broad range of knowledge around this as much as you're like, I don't have a degree in it. You, you do a lot of reading. You talk to a lot of people who have been scholars on this topic for ages. Um, and I think. I think that that, what you just described, like an allegiance, takes it, for me, out of cult territory. It, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like, it, it removes the extreme, the extremism you see so often in the evangelical community, and it it makes it more like a heart-mind thing mm-hmm. where, where you're allowed to have both, <laughs> um, which... You know, in cults, you can't. You you just have to blindly follow. You can't have heart mind. It's all just heart. And whatever the the radical leader says, you better be buying into it. Um, and you cannot critically think. You cannot critically question their teachings. You you can't say, well, let's let's zoom out and look at this from a historical cultural perspective. You're just you're stuck with that cult leader's worldview as your it, own. It's interesting because. I think it almost puts it in more cult territory because I'm like allegiance to Jesus. I uh, like radical loyal (laughs) allegiance to the way of Jesus. Now the caveat is what do we mean by that? So I think like, let's just take some, let's just pretend that we're all fundamentalists again. And we go, whatever the Bible says, let's just take the sermon on the Mount, the words that we think are most likely Jesus's, right? What does it look like? What does it look like to have radical allegiance to the idea of loving your enemy and turning the other cheek? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty freaking radical. I I just got off a call two days ago with two Christian Palestinians who have family in Gaza. And they were like, we believe in nonviolent resistance, despite the fact that we've lost friends. And I'm like, that is radical allegiance to Jesus. They, If anyone has a right to be upset and to want vengeance, it's people right. who have watched their kids, you know, blown to bits in front of them. Yeah. And their reaction yeah. is... My loyalty and allegiance to the way of Jesus supersedes my own human inclination to seek revenge. Now, yeah. that's, that's, I think, a beautiful expression of the Christian tradition and a beautiful expression of that radical allegiance to Jesus. But I think for a lot of people, and I am one of them, maybe not to the extent of, of uh, you, Amanda, but certainly I, I understand how that language can be weaponized to really be high allegiance to the pastor or to the leader that is not Jesus. Right. But we're going to say it's Jesus. And I think that's kind of the distinction for me. And I guess when I think allegiance to Jesus, I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking more, more of the things I really like about the Jesus character portrayed in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I, I like that he hung out with women, you know, Mm -hmm. that he treated Mm -hmm. them well. Mm-hmm. Which was radically countercultural. Mm-hmm. Um, as a former military member, I struggle a little bit when it comes to like military action and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, but right. strategy and <laughs> geopolitics. Um, but I agree that yes, at at face value, it's easy to say, oh, I want to be like Jesus. He was this really cool guy. He t- he took care of people and he loved them. But yes, when you really dig into the meat of his of his words and what that looks like played out in everyday practicality, it becomes a lot more intense. So I do see your point there. Um, I think for me, it still feels less culty and that's, that's fine. Everyone can have their different opinion. I think for me, it feels less culty to view it as allegiance to Jesus because um, allegiance is based for me more on like a, a factual, logical, I have considered this and it makes sense to me and I want to participate in this versus I'm being forced into it because if I don't, I'm going to go to hell. Right. So do you think it's fair to say that the reason why it feels less culty to you is because it protects your own autonomy and it's yes. consensual? Yes. Like you're saying, I'm choosing to have allegiance to this person, not mm-hmm. I'm being forced lest I burn in hell yes. to follow this person. Is that the difference yes. for you? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That's a really good way of putting it. That makes sense. Autonomy and consent. Yeah. Which I would say do not exist in cults <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you? I would imagine in the Bill Gothard cult, that was stripped from you for your whole life. Absolutely, right. yes. Yes, particularly as a female, like our listeners know from, from previous episodes, like I had to do a weird virginity pledging ceremony with my biological father when I was 15. Hmm. Like it, it was, it was very controlling. It was very, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think definitely having that, the consent and the autonomy is probably more important to me even than it is to y'all growing up in fundamental backgrounds as males. I, I I would totally agree. I mean, the system was built for folks like me and Kyle, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like we defected, but like we could have probably found a very top of the hierarchy career yeah. that would have mm-hmm. taken care of us just fine. 
right? Mm-hmm. But in for women, it's always about, about being under the thumb of those men, right? So yes. I totally agree with you 100%. Yeah. All right. So what do you guys think? Can we move on from our all religions cults? I know we're, we're not doing the deepest dive. This is not a documentary. This is three folks having a fun conversation, sharing their opinions. But I just, I don't think I can get behind from a dictionary definition standpoint, all religions being cults, since some religions do not even have an incarnate figurehead to follow in an extreme fashion. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't agree that all religions are cults. And I wouldn't say that most if any religions are actually cults and I just think there are parts, there are people that make cults out of religion is what I would say. Hmm. Yeah. I second that. Okay. All right. So let's get into the harder question. Was Jesus technically a cult leader? Yeah. Okay. Well, my answer. (laughs) Yes. No, he was a rabbi with followers. Okay. I mean, we, I think this is where, I guess if we're going to use 21st century language and impose it onto an ancient Jewish, you know, practice, that's kind of unfair to Jesus and his followers, but it, it wouldn't really be accurate. Like, I don't like you know, the whole thing is that, is that, is that they're disciples of Jesus. That's very common. That's what rabbis do. They have disciples. So I don't think about it in that sense. And frankly, they didn't even know that he was God or think about it that way. Right. They were like, mm-hmm. so who are you? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're this. And then, you know, then the answer is you are the Messiah, the chosen one does not mean God. Uh, and you are the Christ. That's, that's what that is. Right. So even then, I don't know if his followers really thought that he was like this cult type figure of like, oh, my gosh, like we're following God incarnate. And then, of course, when he gets arrested, they all run away. Peter denies him three times. That's not very high controlling for, a you know, for a, a cult leader. Um, but even, I mean, I, again, like, I just think, I just think the re- my personal take at, at the beginning of this conversation so far, which I could be persuaded to see differently, is that it's just not a very fair label to put on something that like had no context for what we're talking about today. So I just wouldn't see it as, as him as a cult leader or his followers as cult followers. You could almost make the argument, um, that there, there was a military aspect to his followership. Like, didn't didn't his disciples think that he was going to overthrow the Roman government and release his people from oppression from the Roman government? Yeah, I mean, this is where I kind of get outside of like what I know as like hard data, but there's definitely this theme in the Israel tradition, right, uh, of the Israelite tradition of uh, being liberated from their occupiers. They're living in occupied Rome. They're under the boot of, a, of an empire. And people thought kingdom was like a tangible kingdom, you know? And so I think that that's a fair like assessment that, yeah, his followers are hoping that he was going to violently or maybe just somehow overthrow uh, the empire and, and give his people liberation. And then he gets crucified by the empire, right? Like the empire actually does what they do to people who start uprisings. They make a spectacle out of them which for his followers would easily be a big fat L like, Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Like we had the wrong allegiance to the, in the wrong person because mm-hmm. this didn't happen. We lost, we're losers again, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that is a fair assessment. Yeah. And I think, so I just want to go, you're going to talk about is Jesus a cult leader. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to the definition that Britannica has a small religious group that is not part of a larger or more accepted religion, and then this is the important part for me is 
that has beliefs regarded by many people as extreme or dangerous. I don't think Jesus had, they may have been extreme for the time, but they weren't dangerous in my opinion. They were generally inclusive. I mean, he was, (laughs) the people that were attacking him were dangerous. He wasn't being dangerous in my, in my, that's how I see it at least Hmm. is that I wouldn't say he was a cult leader because I don't think he was being dangerous or extreme in a negative way. Well, I guess it depends on who you are, right? Because Rome killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so they thought he was dangerous to some level, you know, for, right. for them to crucify him. Well, but that's true. Yeah. But, but at the same time, like, I know what you're saying too, where it's like the Sermon on the Mount isn't dangerousness. Like the, the Sermon on the Mount isn't take up arms and overthrow your oppressor. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. like, like yeah. come on, comrades. You know, like that's not really the take, right? So I, I get what you're saying in that sense for sure. So yeah, that makes sense. Huh. And like, I like Jesus. I like the Jesus character a lot um, in that I think he was good to people and kind to people and inclusive. Um, and I think he said the hard things that needed to be said. Like he didn't just, oh, I'm here to make you feel better. Like he he called shit out too. And, and I like that. I respect that. Um, but – I think, well, remind me, Tim, why? So Rome thought he was dangerous more for the military perspective, right? Like, oh, he's he's claiming to be or or the people think he is this messiah who's here to overthrow our government. Now, Jesus never that's said the he was there, vibe. Yeah. yeah, like Jesus never said I'm here to overthrow the government. So he never I don't think he actually ever said anything that was truly dangerous to the Roman empire, he, but people perceived him. They had a perception of threat. Yeah. People perceived him as being this warrior King, um, which is very much the archetype we see in the old Testament of like God as a warrior King. Mm -hmm. So of course people thought Jesus was going to be this warrior King come to overthrow their oppressors, but, but he never, yeah, I don't, Again, it's been a minute since I studied all of this, but I don't remember him teaching anything that could objectively be considered dangerous. Right. I mean, he says, even, give to Caesars what is Caesars. Yeah. Like, even by Rome, if Rome was just listening to Jesus instead of worried about, you know, the following he was picking up behind yeah. him. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. But then... <laughs> But then, like, in fairness, because I don't think any of us are, like, straight atheists, so maybe we should have a straight atheist, you know, answer this question as well. Because um, I think we're all, like, the three of us all lean a little more, like, Jesus positive. Uh, <laughs> and, like, well, we well, don't want to There's do a difference that. between Jesus positive and then what his followers do, right? Like, cults yes. in the name of Jesus have definitely been a thing for a long, 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 long time, right? All yeah. kinds of things have happened claiming to be Christian of some sort. Of some sort. Yeah. Uh, claiming to follow Jesus or have a special interpretation about Jesus or the Bible or whatever. So, I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree on that. I think the question, though, is Jesus, is the person of Jesus a cult leader? And I think, you know, I think that we actually have data that we can measure that against. You know, like, like if we just strip out what Jesus said 
assuming that we are taking the New, New Testament as you know some kind of reliable source for what he actually said, mm-hmm. um, and then also what he advocated for, and then also who he was seen by as his initial followers, a rabbi, which is very common. Like it wasn't anything that crazy. Mm-hmm. I just don't think like the data would support that Jesus was a cult leader. And and here's another thing that comes to mind for me is like, all right, so the cult I grew up in, other cults I've looked into, the guy at the top usually had a lot of power and influence with the government. They usually have like in this day and age, private jets, multiple private jets. They drive around in luxury vehicles. They have the finest, newest, best of everything. Right. Um, And we don't see that in Jesus. Like he walked around and he sat and like ate dinner with, the lowest members of society and you know he he didn't parade about the way i'm used to seeing a cult leader parade about you know he like was homeless yeah and and he's repeatedly described as being humble and that is not your grandiose cult leader no, I that i have met and experienced yeah, i, I mean did, did bill gothard ever wash your feet <laughs> well, he he. <laughs> oh no! Boy, he, he has a he had a foot fetish that came out very strongly oh, when, so maybe he when they came forward. I'm sure he would have loved to watch some, but not God, for good Bill. reasons. I'm surprised hell, he didn't twist that one around. Oh, thank like... you for stepping into that one so innocently, though, Tim. That's no, gonna I'm crack not. up a lot of people who <laughs> listen to Gothard Girls. My bad, guys. I didn't know. Okay, I mean, I just saw the documentary. Jesus. <laughs> well, you but, get my point, though. You yeah, know? no, he he wasn't a servant leader. Yeah, right. <laughs> he was not a servant right. leader. Right? And, yeah, exactly. And you know, nor are you read memoirs of folks who got out of other cults, not servant leaders. <laughs> Look, I mean, maybe maybe to sum it up, what we can say is Jesus was the one on the cross, not his followers. Right? I think cult that. leaders are the first ones to put their followers on the cross. Oh, I like that. Right. Okay. Like, I think that's kind of maybe the that. biggest difference just off the top of my head to kind of sum it up. Like I, I don't I can't think of any cult follower that's like, no, no, no. I will I will I will die on behalf of you. Usually like right. it's either you're coming with me or we're gonna wait out the government until they kill us, or mm-hmm. you're gonna go do this thing. Usually it's not just the, the cult leader. Mm-hmm. I can get behind that. I like that. Yep. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap this up. Um Oh, boom. So with, well, I mean, you got <laughs> Do you, anything you else have to more say? to share, Tim? Because I'm, no, I'm I really don't. No, I don't. I don't. I just want to emphasize for your followers, maybe, or your, your followers. Wow, no <laughs> for, uh, for your podcast listeners, that I, I, what I'm not trying to do here is to prove that whatever you were part of in the name of Christianity was not a cult or was not yeah. harmful or was not dangerous. Like, I don't want that to be a thing that I'm trying to communicate here. Like, I. A lot of our work is actually devoted to exposing a lot of the yes. bullshit that yes. harms so many people, right? We just did yes. a thing on IHOP, et cetera. So certainly Christianity has a history of really doing a lot of harm in the name of God and using Jesus as a card for high control. But yes. the question is, or was, is Jesus himself a cult leader? And I think there's a massive gap between that question and then what people do in his name to mm. enable cult-like behavior and hurt a lot of people. Okay. Since we have a few more minutes left for this session, actually, can we can we just take a minute and talk about the difference between like, okay, we have decided officially on on this episode with, you know, our 
prestigious backgrounds of scholarship. (laughs) (laughs) We have decided that Jesus was not a cult leader. Can we talk for a moment about what people have done that is culty in the name of Jesus and and just kind of validate for folks how harmful that is and the the distinction between, okay, we got Jesus over here. We're saying not a cult leader. He was the one on the cross, not his followers. And then we've got people like, like Bill Gothard and other cult leaders who are doing all of this harm, saying that it's from God, of God, about Jesus. Um, Tim, can you speak to that distinction a little bit more? Uh, yeah, I guess. Um I just think that there, I think high control religion is a thing. It's a problem mm-hmm. anywhere. Uh, we, we can find this behavior in Islam. We can find it in Christianity, mm-hmm. but we are at least former Christians or current Christians. So I feel like we have an obligation to critique our tradition the most, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're never going to hear me be like, well, that sounds like the Taliban because I'm not yeah. Muslim. Yeah. And that's not a fair critique, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they do have problems and I talk to Muslims who are critiquing their own and that's great. Yeah. But I do think that, yeah, I mean, you know, there is like in the evangelical sense, especially there is like this really um, the, the way that that evangelicalism operates, broadly speaking, I think is fertile soil for cult like behavior. Yes. It's usually they put one person, usually a white man on a pedestal as having some kind of anointing by God. He's he's special. He hears from God differently. He maybe he's casting the vision of the church. Then it's kind of his job to kind of set the tone for everything else. Then everything kind of goes through that person. Um, and it just kind of breeds this really harmful air that you're inhaling that is like, well, what does the pastor think about this? And the reality is that the Christian tradition is really wide and there is disagreement on almost everything. But when people start policing your beliefs or like what you can or can't wear, um, you know, obviously in reason, I wouldn't want a guy on my worship team in a speedo on stage, obviously, <laughs> right? Just for, he's like, we're not at the beach, right? That's why. Mm-hmm. But like, you get my point, right? Like, you know, when people, especially for women, you know this, Amanda, more than either of us, but when there's such a high control on like the blouse you're wearing or whatever it is, I mean, I, I get a lot of DMs and whenever we cover purity culture, some of the stories I hear from women are, they're nauseating. Like I'm, yeah. I'm getting sick for them. I mean, stories yes. like, when I was seven, this old man told me that my knees were causing him to stumble. And I'm like, what the f- can I, can I <laughs> Yes, you can. Yes. Oh, I say fuck all the time. What yes. the fuck? Who? What <laughs> man? I mean, Kyle, what man does that? Like, seriously, yeah. I'm a dude, okay? I'm a man. I am heterosexual. The thought of, of telling, like, a 10-year-old that, yeah. I, I, I just, I want to crawl in a hole and die. Like, it just, it makes me yeah. sick to think about. So, so clearly, you know, we can see... In our tradition, so many elements of high control, of policing the bodies of other people, of having the right beliefs to belong to places. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the difference here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Also, even like, even the tone of how they handle this. So I can give you an example of where I thought that I was part of a high control environment, but it was not a cult. okay? Okay. So I was part of a church for six years. They were very good people. They were not cult like at all. As far as I know to this day, no scandals, no abuse, et cetera. Eventually, my beliefs hit their wall and their boundary, okay, of like, oh, Tim, how you're thinking about maybe queer inclusion. It's too far. Mm-hmm. So they gave me an ultimatum. They're like, hey, listen, here's your, here's the options we see. You can either stop serving as a drummer or you can keep doing your work with TNE. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, I'm obviously going to keep doing this work with, with new evangelicals, so I'm going to step down. Um, but they gave me a boundary and like the pastor was almost crying and he hated to see me go. And he's like, you know, I, I get it, but you know, we, we have a difference here. Okay, that's high control. But that's not a cult. 
All right. They at least shook my hand and were like, we wish you the best. And like, you know, uh, you know, they, they let me go. And a quote, you'd be excommunicated yeah, <laughs> in a right. harmful it, way. Exactly. I still have a few friends I can talk to from the church. It's not like the church is, is moderate and monitoring who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. Cults tend to be very high control even when you leave, right? Yeah. So it turns out that you are actually uh, hooked in in that line. They're going to keep reeling you back in or making sure that they know or that you know that, that they have all the control even when you leave the environment, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's a common example of, of more cult-like behavior versus mm-hmm. I got really hurt by my church, but we went our mm-hmm. own separate ways, right? So mm-hmm. a couple of thoughts there. I love that. And I would say, you know, for any listeners, if you do find yourself in an environment that is exhibiting high control and and perpetrating harm, um, yeah, that <laughs> that is more culty. Uh, you might want to look a little more deeply into what's going on in that environment. But I think the distinction that um, I am making in particular as as the resident skeptic <sighs> is that uh there there is a strong distinction between Jesus and what Jesus stood for and allegiance to Jesus yeah. and cults and cult like behavior and cult like control and manipulation and I, I'm just gonna keep going back to what you said, Tim, like it wasn't his followers on the cross. He was the first one to to go. And I really like that. I'm gonna go think about that. Well, can you tell everyone where to find all of your stuff? And we'll link it in the description as well. But if they want to learn oh. more about your work, where can they go? Sure. Yeah, we have a website, thenewevangelicals.com. A lot of our work is on Instagram. We're on TikTok. We're on threads. We're on podcasts. We're, we have a private Facebook community. Um, so we're you know, if you type in the New Evangelicals in Google, whatever comes up is pretty much us. So yeah, that's where you can find us. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Tim. That was an exciting conversation. And I love Thanks it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Thanks for, for being me. here. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Cult I Left Behind. Until next time, don't join a cult. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe, and we will catch you on the next episode.